Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Personalization Outbreak Podcast, your go-to podcast for meaningful conversations with influential leaders from different sectors every week. Our guest this week, Dr. Eve Solomon Fernandez, is the president of Greenfield Community College located in beautiful rural Western Massachusetts. Eve is a nationally recognized thought leader in higher education who is inspired by the challenges and possibilities in reimagining higher education. Now, together, we'll talk about the relevancy of community colleges in the new economy of the fourth industrial revolution. We will discuss Eve's childhood in Haiti and what growing up in adverse circumstances can teach us about people and leadership. We will also explore the healthy tensions that exist between community colleges and four-year universities and what we can learn from younger generations to start equipping them with the skills that will allow them to adapt, evolve, and create part of this new economy. So before we start, make sure to hit the like button below, share it with your colleagues, and subscribe to our YouTube channel and social media at Glenn Yopi so that you can be in touch with our most recent content about leadership in the age of personalization. Let's get started. You are listening to Personalization Outbreak, a podcast about the collapse of traditional corporate standards in today's more personalized world. I'm Glenn Yopis. I'm a leadership strategist, author, contributor to Forbes, and founder of the Leadership in the Age of Personalization movement. On this show, I'm interviewing executives across multiple sectors to find out how the balance between standardization and personalization can exist. Eve, thank you for joining us today. Glenn, it's my pleasure to be with you. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you, Eve. Now, uh, Scott Lacey, who's always on the show, he's going to join us again now. Looks like there were some technical difficulties. But let's start with this question, Eve. Um, why do you feel your most authentic self when listening to music and when you have the opportunities to innovate, build, reconstitute, and elevate? You know, there's something inspiring about music, whether you're just listening to instrumental music or you're, in, you're listening to words. For me, it's inspiring. It brings me to a different world and it just helps me to imagine possibilities. And that's that's what this world requires. We are right now, as we've talked about, Glenn, in the midst of the fourth industrial revolution, we are experiencing rapid technological change. We're also seeing social changes that are taking place. We're also going through demographic change. So all of these combined together, we can't help but be inspired and we can't help but want to uh, change and want to evolve and want to really innovate in the areas that in higher education, we must evolve. If, if anything, the pandemic has shown to us um, that, that we have possibilities, we have reasons to evolve and the world is not static. So you just teed up the next question because, you know, we're here to get to know you first as an individual, because that's what matters in the age of personalization, Eve. So you grew up in Haiti where you spent I did. the first 12 years of your life. What did your upbringing teach you about people and leadership? It taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about poverty, about social justice, about economic justice and about human determination, hmm. grit, perseverance, 
and hope. Um, Haiti, as you know, is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, but there is a sense of hope. There is a level of generosity um, that most Haitians have. And for me, it was that sense of no matter how difficult things get, one must never give hope. And so I live my life in a way that allows me um, to inspire others, to give others hope, and to also be inspired by, by the hope that others um, share with me. At a community college, as you can imagine, I have a multiple opportunities to see students who are turning their lives around, who may have grown up in circumstances that were less than ideal, but are very committed to transforming their lives. And our mission as community colleges allow us to do that. Um, so I, I feel very um, fortunate to have had a background that um, allows me to face difficulties and challenges um, with courage and with perseverance. Um, and, and also that gives me an outlook on life um, that uh, looks at the glass as being half full rather than half empty. Inspiring words, uh, Eve, and it makes me think that, you know, last year, or I almost feel like 2021 is a continuation of 2020, but um, I think everyone, for the very first time in modern U.S. history, uh, experienced adversity at the same time, at different levels. And I mean, you, as you said, you know, in, in Haiti, you experienced adversity from a very young age. Uh, it was all around you. And you found ways to navigate through it and and build a library of, of wisdom, so to speak, that will last uh, you a lifetime. How do you think people have reacted to all this adversity that we've been faced with? And, and what's what's some of the wisdom that you share with your students who are perhaps still uncertain about the future? I think what we've seen during the pandemic is that this adversity has brought about the best of our humanity. When we look at the ways that folks have really stepped up um, to support one another, when we look at the the fundraising that has happened during this time, mm. um, it's been a time of great economic wealth. Um, the economy has done pretty well. Um, the stock market has done pretty well during that time. And pe some people have seen their wealth increase during that time. And many have been very generous to say, what can we do to help others? We've also seen government step up. As of this moment, we're seeing the tragedy that is happening in, in India, for instance. They don't have the infrastructure, the public health infrastructure, and it's the country that is most adversely hit at this moment by the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing countries from around the world and people from around the world saying, what can we do in India? And also, what can we do in our own backyards? Uh, and I think that's really important when we are traversing a pandemic as severe as this one has been. We've been now about 18 months into the pandemic or 14 months into the pandemic. And we are seeing folks saying, what can I do? How can I support others who are suffering? And we're seeing government also stepping up to say, how do we support our most vulnerable people? That's really important. Why higher ed? Why did you choose a path of being a leader in, in community colleges? You know, I'd say leadership chose me. Um, I never saw myself as being a president or really as being a leader. Um, I was very lucky to have had some incredible mentors who um, inspired me and who saw things in me, who saw qualities in me that I did not see and who said, you know, you should really be doing this. You're natural at it or you work really hard and you can get better at it. And that was really important to me. 
Um, and I listened to those people because they were people who inspired me, people whom I respected, whom I held in and still hold in very high regard. And that was how I found my way into higher ed. And what I've found so far is that it's very gratifying when I see students whose circumstances were very much like mine or worse than mine, um, who are really changing their lives, transforming their lives. And what we also know about higher education is that it transforms the um, a family for multiple generations. So it's not just the one person who's experiencing higher education who's getting that degree, but it really is um, that person's children, that person's extended family who is impacted and who helps that person through the difficulties to um, help some prevail, uh, who's also impacted. So for me, it's a multi-generational impact that mm -hmm. I am able, able to have through higher ed and, um, and I'm able to work with some wonderful colleagues at Greenfield Community College um, to really have a transformative impact. You know, I see you as a capacity activator. You find ways to identify and discover the capacity from within people, from within an institution, and then find ways to activate it. If it wouldn't have been serving in a, in a leadership role in a community college, where do you think your career would have gone? Oh, that's a good question. It's funny. Um, as I shared with you, Glenn, I'm, I'm here in California visiting with my sister and we had that conversation just a couple of nights ago. Um, I think there are two things. I would have been a marine biologist because oh. I love underwater sea life um, or I would have been narrating This American Life. I just love that oh. show. <laughs> I can't help it. I, can't I love help it. it. It's a wonderful show and underwater sea life really fascinates me. Um, <clears throat> I'm an avid snorkeler and I am also pursuing my diving license. And so I see myself doing, if I weren't doing this, those are the two things I'd be pursuing. So what, what would the sea life, what is sea, uh, sea life and exploring uh, that world? What does that teach us? You think about navigating adversity? Oh, that's a really great question. Um, I mean, for me, when I go underwater, when I snorkel and I can snorkel for hours, um, it just it's just that peaceful place watching the natural beauty and also watching some of the impact of um, human life. You know, some of the things that we do uh, uh, to oceans um, it, uh, really deleterious to not just ocean life, but to our planet in general. Um, and I'll share with you that my son also shares my passion for underwater sea life. Um, you know, it teaches us a lot because that's where everything starts, in my opinion. Um, imagine if we don't have water. Imagine if we don't have a beautiful ocean floor. Imagine if we don't have the fish and the big mammals that we have in the sea. Um, the world would be a very different place. We would be dry and um, hmm. and just with, without color, without excitement. Um, so we have to treat it responsibly. So when I look at the ocean, I look at it as, um, as a place that we need to protect when we look at global warming and we see all of the signs of global warming around us. Um, we've seen some really horrible hurricanes. Um, we've seen torrential rains. We've seen drying up of, of the seasons. You know, we don't get as much snow. We don't get as much rain as we used to get all of that. We live in an ecosystem that is supported and that is impacted by all of our actions, all of our behaviors. Um, so I think we have a unique opportunity right now to say around climate change, what are we going to do 
better and differently to sustain our planet. We only have one planet and we are at a critical point right now um, that uh, that we need to make some serious changes. And I, I was very disappointed um, to see that after um, the the um, global demonstrations that were held in the fall of 2019 um, around climate change, that the U.S. actually withdrew um, mm. from the Paris Accord. But now we are back members of the uh, members of the Paris Accord, and that that is really really important um, to not just our country because we don't exist in isolation. It's really important for our planet. So I'm I'm very pleased to see that. Well, talking about actions and behaviors and uh, just the broader scope of our species, right? Uh, why are we having trouble finding the coexistence between the forces of standardization and personalization at such a pivotal time, Eve, where these two forces, they need to find the right balance. They, we need to stop moving. We need to move from this extremism, this polarization between these two forces to a healthy balance. How are we going to get there? What are your views on this? I see this as coming back. Um, when you look at Gen Z, you look at Gen Alpha, they are very different, even from the millennials. They are all about personalization. They are all about um, understanding the world and living and coexisting together and understanding difference and using difference as a way to make us a richer, more productive um, and more uh, uh, satisfying and sustainable society. It's not about us being a melting pot, but rather about us being a mosaic where we can each show our individual strengths and our individual richness and beauty. And I think that is something that from the younger generation, um, my generation as a generation Xer and the baby boomer generation can really learn a lot. They are not trying to assimilate us, but rather to say, what makes us different? What makes us unique? And how does that make us better as a society? If we extract the uniqueness to say, we are not all standards, standard fit, you know, one size fits all um, does not work, but really let's personalize um, things. And we're seeing that around technology also. We have many more options. Um, and uh, even from simple things like, choosing your avatar, choosing your emoji, right? Um, you can choose so many different shades. You can choose so many different clothing options. You can choose hairstyle options. So we are seeing a movement to that. And I think that makes us better as a society when we identify and appreciate um, our individual characteristics, honor those, our individual cultures, our histories, our heritages, um, and honor those and we know from the data also that boardrooms and uh, boardrooms that are more diverse end up with better um, outcomes for shareholders, better outcomes for companies. Um, so that's been empirically um, shown. And so the more diverse we have, we are, the more we embrace personalization, the better the outcomes are. So how do we begin to fully see and know our students? in higher education now that they're the ones that are influencing what the future of higher education should look like? You know, in my opinion, I think it's first acknowledging that, that students are not monolithic. They are different. Um, and we treat them as the unique people that they are. And we also make sure that they are our history books, 
acknowledge them, that we see them in the history book, in the history books here in Massachusetts, we just made Juneteenth an official holiday. Um, and I think it's really important for African-Americans to say, we see you, we acknowledge your history, we acknowledge your culture, and we acknowledge the fact that for many years, um, even though slavery ended, um, slavery continued to be practiced in so many states and in so many regions. So I think that part is really important. It's important also that our faculty and staff um, begin to look more like our students. I think we've also seen a movement across college campuses um, to take down and um, erase the legacies of slavery on campuses, take down monuments that may represent um, the darker sides of our history as an American people. Uh, I think those things are moving in the right direction. Um, and also providing, uh, creating programs that are much more equitable, allowing students who have been historically disadvantaged to be able to have a leg up, to be able to have equal opportunity, because that is the only way we can achieve equal outcomes. And I mean that in terms of gender, in terms of race, in terms of identity, um, our LGBTQ students, our racially diverse students, our women students, um, and I think to a great extent, our male students also, because we are seeing right now that we have um, female achievement is way higher than our male achievement. And when you look at the intersection of gender and race, um, we see that many of our Latinx male students and African-American male students are not achieving the same outcomes yeah. as our white female students. So it bears the question, what are the opportunities for them yeah. that may not be equal? So, Scott, I know you're thinking about octopuses, you're thinking about all kinds of things, because all these topics fall right into your wheelhouse. Where are we at now, Scott? Um, I'm going to keep listening, but, but where are we? I think we're headed in where I'm kind of where I'd like to maybe speak to in a, in a little bit as we get closer to the wrap, uh, wraps, wrapping this whole thing up, is we're, we're, we're with this leadership amongst adversity is where we started this conversation. And what, what I'm helping to, or at least <clears throat> what I'm being helped to understand is, is really leadership and leadership skills. Um, and, this, and this idea of thinking of leadership amongst of adversity. And, and, and I think, Eve, what you're helping me to do is to reframe what that means. And actually, I'm seeing less of the, I'm seeing the role of adversity, but I'm actually seeing you as a reframer that's empowering me to understand a different side of leadership skills and ethos. So if I can percolate on this and listen a little bit more to some of this insight, I think, let me go snorkeling in these waters and let me uh, come back up. <laughs> <laughs> what, well, do you, well, before I let you go, Scott, I got to yeah. let Eve know that you are a big octopus fan. In fact, you have a, you have hand painted uh, an octopus in your home. On the wall. Oh my gosh. Have you seen the movie, My Friend the Octopus? <laughs> Everyone's telling me to watch it. I've got such high expectations. I don't know when I should watch it. Um, maybe oh maybe this gosh. summer I'll finally watch it. I don't know. Scott, <laughs> you gotta watch it. It's one of <laughs> okay. my favorite movies. You gotta watch it. Okay, Absolutely. I'm in. Because yeah. of you, Eve, I'm in. And, and that's it. That's for sure. Done. Done. So where is the role of community colleges playing? Where, where do you see this role? I mean, there's always been a I guess I would call it some healthy tension between community colleges and four-year universities. Uh, where do you see this? Because, you know, when you talk about changing demographics, 
uh, it seems to me, and again, through the work that we do, that uh, this is the, the community colleges are the ones that really understand these, com- these diverse communities. What role do you think uh, community colleges will play moving uh, in the immediate future, Eve? Well, I think um, there is a lot. There, there's a lot of role and there's a lot of role that community colleges can play and are playing. Yeah. Um, what we are seeing right now is um, a bifurcated path and actually maybe perhaps even three paths. Um, we have the students who are dual, perhaps even four, in fact. Um, we have the students who are dual enrolled, um, who are beginning their college career much earlier while still in high school. We have the students who are taking time off um, who want to do a year off or a couple of years of a gap, a gap year. We have the students who are saying, you know, after 18 years, after 12 years of going to, to school, um, I'd like to um, continue and finish off and, um, and, and go to a community college where I feel like I have less pressure and I'm not quite sure what I want to mm. um, study. And so I can explore. And then we have the students who are very self-directed, who know exactly what they want to do. Um, so we're seeing these two, these four pathways, right? Mm. And for community colleges, the students come to us. We have at least three of those groups who are coming straight to us and we have to serve them in the best way that we can. And we also have folks who are older adults who are coming back. And um, that's been our bread and butter um, who perhaps uh, took some time off. You know, we have mothers who've taken time off. We have parents, we have dads who may have been laid off and now realizing that the economy is different and they need more education for upward mobility. So I think for community colleges, we are at this intersection where we need to figure out how do we support the skills-based economy and also the folks who are looking for a traditional four-year degree and help them figure out their pathway. So getting the associate's degree and then moving on to a four-year credential. So that's where, yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so that's where we are. And we have to serve all of these constituencies really well and not to forget businesses that have people who need to upskill and reskill as the economy is changing. And as we are experiencing higher levels of automation and productivity um, within businesses. Tell me a little bit about the upskilling and reskilling. What, what are the demands that you're getting from from businesses and uh, and what are the st- students telling you that they need uh to pursue the careers that they uh, that they aspire to. You know, I think with the fourth industrial revolution, we have several things going on. One, we have students who are um, being prepared for jobs that may not exist right now. So the students will be creating the jobs that will exist, um, but they don't exist yet. And we're also seeing with the rise of automation, the rise of artificial intelligence, you know, automated um, automation, um, uh, augmented reality, virtual reality, and all of that blockchain technology uh, that uh, we are working alongside the robots, um, whether it is machine learning or it's an actual robot, we are working alongside the robots. So how do we prepare students to be um, to have an agile um, set of skills that they can um, uh, evolve as the jobs evolve? So students may or may not know exactly what they are looking for, but the businesses have a sense of how they will evolve their businesses. They are seeing the writing on the wall, the writing on the wall. And especially with the pandemic, um, what we have seen is that many more businesses that were um, sort of very labor intensive human based um, work are beginning to see 
how do I change my business to be much more automated so that I am less reliant on humans who are working close in close proximity to one another um, mm-hmm. that may end up being a liability for me because I don't think this is the last pandemic that we're going to see. Um, I think as we become an increasingly globalized society, these things will happen. And how do we make sure that we control for them and whatever else may come that we have not conceived of. Um, So having an agile mindset and having uh, multiple contingency plans is really important. So I have this model called the uh, constructive interruption cycle. And it begins with assessing. And you just did a really nice job at assessing uh, what is going to be required from community colleges uh, as their student populations have all these different uh, needs and and, uh, requirements uh, to get jobs. But so what would be the, the first thing that you would interrupt about the ways community colleges operate today that's going to better prepare yourself as an institution for these students? I would say interrupting the silos. Um, and the way that we conceive of degrees and, um, and specializations, uh, it needs to change um, because we need students to have not just um, a strong foundation in the liberal arts, because mm-hmm. that is essential, that lasts mm-hmm. a lifetime, Um, but also to have that skills-based orientation, to understand that you may be getting this degree today, but your job will become extent before your career ends. Mm -hmm. So understanding that the career that you are entering into will be vastly different. It's not just your job that will be different. Your career will be different. And the manner in which you um, do your job will be very different. So it's it's a mindset. And I think because we as educators tend to be older than our students. It's hard for us to conceive of that. And it's hard for us sometimes to embrace change and to embrace the fact that things are evolving and are changing. But for the sake of our students, we need to be able to do that. And we need to be able to equip them um, with skills that will allow them to adapt, to evolve, and to take advantage and to create part of this new economy. Okay, so that's the interruption. The third part of the cycle is the pivot. What, what, what do community colleges need to do to pivot quickly to prepare themselves for their students? Oh, that's a very good question also. Um, I would say, well, one of the things that we have seen during this pandemic is that community colleges pivoted very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, we had to get uh, Chromebooks and all sorts of things for our students. Um, but I think the integration of workforce development with Mm. Um, the academic areas, that's an area where we need to pivot and we need to look at and create much, much um, better and seamless pathways for students to be able to enter and exit both ends. Um, so it's very conceivable that someone with a master's degree will come back to a community college to be able to get some more skills that they need because they're not going to get a second master's degree. They're not going to get a doctorate degree mm. um, because their their career may not require that but to be able to have the skills to reskill um, and get a little bit of a foundation in a different area so that they can continue on with their career trajectory. Um, so I think pivoting to a much more fluid um, uh, uh, enterprise, academic enterprise move, uh, business model is going to be important. Sounds to me like community colleges just won't be a short-term destination anymore. 
No, no, absolutely not. The world is changing and we need to change with it. So, Scott, where are you at right now? We've just got a few more minutes before we wrap it up. And I've got a couple more questions for you. Right on. Um, it's the it's the leadership um, amongst adversity. And, and, and I, I want to like kind of take this all the way back, because I think what we're seeing here is and, and Eve, you're the one that's helping me see this, is that um, I think we have a proclivity. And I don't mean we just the, just me and you, Glenn, but I just mean people in general, especially when we think about leadership, to think about the leadership skills separate from the people themselves. What skills do we need to put in this box that we need to train any leader that wants to come? Right. Tools for effective leadership. I think what we're finding is that if we actually search for leadership in the age of adversity or in a context of diversity, what we're searching for is probably something we don't know yet, because what we're looking for amongst those key categories of leadership that we think will help us in adversity. Well, the deal is, is what Eve is telling us time and time again in a lot of different ways is that people are already there. The students that we're trying to work with, the faculty that we're trying to, to help, the, the transition to professional worlds, the underserved people that don't even get to walk into a community college, right? They're already there and people are already working with them. There's already leadership afoot. And it's, it's not leadership in the way that we think of it outside of this bubble, or I should say, I should say inside of a bubble, not in this context, but instead, we're, we're, we're basically focusing on leadership skills that are already proven to be, as you would say, standardized. And I think, as Eve would say, obsolete. So let's take a look at this. Haiti, right? So many people, if we look at it from a standardized lens, is going to say, Haiti, failed state, long time problem. Oh, my gosh, it's big, big, big. How about we rethink about this and let's look at what Haiti actually does. Let's look at what Cuba actually does, right, in these marginalized positions, especially in this hemisphere. Haiti, first democratic republic to basically say slavery, gone, right? Before we even got to this sort of stuff over here, up here, Haiti had leadership in diversity, but not just for Haiti, but for humankind. So here to boil it back up, the same thing is true of a community college president like Eve. Already there, sorry, you're talking about all these problems. We've been dealing with it for a long time. Welcome to the reality that you couldn't see. We need to personalize. Eve's communication style, right, with her students, with podcast-type presentations, let alone even on the website, when you visit her website, you could just see yeah. Eve communicates to the students, direct, interacts with, because that's where she's been. That's where she will be. And her leadership in an era of adversity isn't leadership in an era of adversity. Her leadership is simply resilience. And let's think about this at the big picture and I'll finish. Right. And Eve, this is me just talking to you about being your number one fan here. Right. Um, I love I love sort of you as a person and the way that you wove your personhood into your leadership ethos. We think we're out looking for the right leader, the person that has the right leadership skills. Wrong. What we're looking for is the right person who brings the right ethos that can then use their own skills to sort of make this happen. You. I mean, look at this. You are a people oriented person. And that's all we've talked about your sister. We've talked about your students. We've talked about like we've talked about people. Right. But then you also talked about how the stories are important of all these people, whether they're your students or your family members. But the most important thing that I thought metaphorically was your 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 snorkeling. Most leaders fear what's under the surface. Hmm. They don't even go there. 
They assume what's there and they tell you how to avoid it. What you're telling us, Eve, with your leadership style that's person-based, that's, that's, that's personality and, and, and connectivity-based, not a list of what to be a good leader, right? Um, you dive in and you dive in with joy for what you'll discover that's new and what that new stuff will reflect upon you and yourself and the world that's up there. So bottom line, that snorkel metaphor was more, more than a metaphor, man. That is, you are a snorkeler president and I am so happy to have actually been allowed to see that, right? Because I didn't ever think of it in this way before, but bottom line, I hope that you can get more of us into the water because as, 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 as many of us think that there's adversity and depths and fathoms that we shouldn't even think about down there, you're telling us that the water's warm, but not always comfortable. There's some scary stuff down there, but if you hang out and understand how it works, maybe that's going to actually be part of the solution that you didn't know you were looking for. Anyway, Glenn, I, this, the, the snorkeling president is, is, is the new model. That is a leadership snorkeling. Leadership quality number one. Period. Done. Sorry. You're so insightful. <laughs> you are the one that said it. it. You did it. You did it. I just saw it. <laughs> so welcome to the it's, welcome to leadership in the age of personalization, Eve. So, Eve, can you give us a closing comment about your experience today, and maybe a a, a message that you can uh, share with our audience, both uh, here on YouTube as well uh, as through our podcast distribution. Well, I've really enjoyed my time with you guys. And I would say just listening to Scott and listening to you, Glenn, and the questions that you've asked me have really um, have really asked me to think below the surface, to use that metaphor again. And, you know, at the end of the day, we are in the age of personalization. And it is all about cultural dexterity. And whether you're talking about culture as culture of a group of people, of a country, of of race of culture of gender culture of um whatever it may be there is culture everywhere and we can't ignore it and culture is what binds us and when we embrace all of our cultures that's what makes us american and that's what at the end of the day makes us the wonderful rich and country that we are and 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 i would say you know we've done a really good job uh, overall as a country of attracting the best minds, the best brains from all over the world to enrich our culture and to enrich our intellectual culture, especially. And when you look at the patents of America that, that have come out of the U.S., um, just the sheer number of patents and, 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 and not to even mention the broad array of patents, um, it's, it's made us rich. It's made us um, who we are and it's really defined our identity. And I'm really inspired by the younger generations and where they are leading us. So thank you for having me. Oh gosh, Eve, thank you so much. And as we always close the show, when you lead in the age of personalization, you will see things that others don't do what others won't and keep pushing when prudence says quit. Eve, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. It's thank been a you. pleasure. Thanks for listening to Personalization Outbreak. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. If you enjoyed the content, Visit ageofpersonalization.com to check out our free streaming video series and learn how to get involved in the movement. I'm Glenn Yopis. I wish you a good day. And remember, without strategy, change is merely substitution, not evolution.